Hello, I am Jason, creator of The Grey Rooms. We want to take this time to thank those of you who make these episodes possible. Without these lovely patrons, the things that we are able to do with this podcast at present, well, they just wouldn't be possible. We are so very appreciative every day for your belief in us and in this project. And with that, this episode is brought to you by Kelly Bear, Amy Nikolai, Arthur Unk, Ashley Enstrom, Austin Furman, Brooks Bigley, C.L. Bishop, Elizabeth Dowell, Jason Porras, Jeremy Schaefer, Kathleen Clyde, Michael Velez, Patrick Stewart. Thank you again so very much. If you like what we produce and would consider supporting us, please head over to patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms and find the right tier that suits you. But for now, on to the episode. You awake. The elevator is small and cramped. There is a strange old man. He's mumbling. You hear a ding and he forces you out. You're lost. You have no memory of this place. How did you get here? Where are you? It doesn't matter. Because now, you belong to the Grey Rooms. I could swim forever in the rich, dark, velvet chocolate of his eyes. I would buy you the moon. Best put this on, miss. It's not much to look at, I know, but it'll keep you warm. The life vest hung on me, cumbersome and untied. Come with me for a stroll on the promenade. He was a proper man of London's. It's not fair. And I was a simple girl from the Cotswolds. His surprisingly warm hands went to my throat and pressed. You... You spoke with him about my inheritance. Let me help you, lass. Maybe we can tuck it in all over that blanket to help keep you warm. What? No! We struck a bird, lady. We're seeking. I'm sorry. I heard the sound of a distant scream, followed by a splash. They'll pull you in and keep you safe. It's just a short swim if you jump clear. All around us was terror. Explosions of screams. The yawning, monstrous sound of the enormous ship dipping under the waves. And in that final moment, just as the icy water crawled up my body, I looked up 
And I swear, I saw the moon. William accident, such a great job, but you're able to respond to me underwater. Fascinating. What? What? Sometimes those stories make for harrowing experiences. <coughs> I still feel like... <coughs> oh, I think I'm going to be sick. Out of the question! No puking in the elevator! That was... so... real. Did that really happen to her? Please, Todd, tell me that was like a movie. Just made to terrorize me. I can't, miss. Well, it might be made up. Might be someone's memory. Might be something that's still gonna happen somewhere. You're gonna experience plenty more horrors, I suspect. The Grey Rooms. <laughs> You're gonna hate it. I have to get out of here, Todd. You've said that before. A little peek here and there for a way out. Don't forget a bottle of whiskey or a few beers while you're exploring. We all have our needs in this disgusting place, miss. Oh, I didn't have to yell about you leaving. But George, I think she's got it. Rex <laughs> Think. Every day you are going to freak out with these rooms. They're killing you. Literally. Maybe metaphysically, too. Jesus. You have to get out of here. But how? Maybe I should try the outside door again. But just keep running. No. He'll just bibbity-boppity-boo and be right next to me. There's got to be clues somewhere, right? Bob's desk, for one. He wasn't standing around it before. I just need to take a peek at what's going on. Hello, Samantha. Was that you screaming in the elevator? I have to admit, I missed hearing that. Bob, I've been nice to you lately. Why do you have to be like that? 
It's my job. Nothing personal. Maybe a little personal. I just hate humanity. Looking forward to your next room. No. Uh, I want to... I want to remember more about who I am. That's easy. Scum. Villainy. You know. It's not your fault, though. Life is full of strange and unpredictable things. It's like you just can't help yourselves. But you still die. And then I get to torture you. I probably wouldn't have a job if you didn't. So I guess I should thank you. Wait. You said I died? As in before this? You said... Oh, did I forget to mention that earlier? Your life is over. You died. There was a funeral and everything. I don't remember. God, I, I don't remember anything. You want to escape, but there is nothing to escape to. You know, this is starting to feel like one of the rooms, doesn't it? Hold on, I need a good ending. Ah, the end. What do you think? I just want to get out. I want out of this. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Stop it. Let me go. You want me to dig up your bones. Disgusting. If you need anything. <laughs> Isn't this exciting? I don't even know what this is. If he starts healing people after they roll around like idiots, I'm leaving. It's nothing like that. Seriously, he's trying to change the world. <clears throat> I woke up today, I'm sure like many of you, to my television, cell phone, and even my radio talking about politics. One man says something that half the nation feels is good. They cheer. The other half doesn't like it, and booze! 
One woman says the opposite. Same thing, division. You feel it, right? No one is happy. It doesn't matter where we live, who we are, who we're interested in. If we allow ourselves to get caught up in the politics of this world, we eventually feel as if it has brought us down, failed us. So we turn to God. God is good. God is great, they say. But they fight over what God wants, what God will do, who God even is. Priests become like politicians. Churches become like political parties. People have to ask others what their church believes in and even campaigns for. But all of you here today are not here to campaign for anything. You're here to enjoy the truth about God. For God is good. God is great. And I know this because looking out into this crowd, I see people from all races, all genders, all sexualities, all lifestyles. You want peace. You want happiness. You want respect. And that's not just what you deserve, my friends. My ever-increasing family. No, that is what you'll get. This is what the Church of the One is all about. Not individuality like our politics that only think of and help themselves. No, we are one people. Brothers, sisters, mothers and fathers, family. Respect, love, forgiveness. We will rise above the hate that defines humanity and become that one people. Jake? Jake? He's not here. <sighs> Great. Guess I have to see what's up with Bob. Huh. First my parents, and then I start getting into some religion? I sure had an interesting life. Church of the One. I need to remember that. Fountain isn't working. I hope they get that fixed. And Bob looks like he's angrily mumbling about something. Great. Ah! Jesus! Oh, that was good. Uh, what the? 
Red?
miss. Are you all right? No, Todd. No. I'm sorry. I died. I saw you in the elevator. Yes. I'm in the same situation as you. I'm sorry, Todd. I'm so sorry. The warden, he got in. Choose a room now. Good. Goodbye, Todd. Be careful, miss. Bob. Tell me you're done mumbling. Please? Mumbling? God is good. God is great. You kept saying that over and over again. No. I would remember something like that. You also mentioned someone named... Raymond. Do not mention that name! You mention it one more time, and I swear to you, Samantha, I will drag you out and throw you to the warden myself. Do you understand me? Yeah. I understand. Two rooms. One is about an old man in an iron lung during the apocalypse. The other is about two police officers answering a call. I don't care. What? I said, I don't care. Of course you don't. Fine. Two police officers it is. Room 1290. The room's entitled... After the call. Okay. I'm sorry about what happened to you, Bob. I was worried and was trying to help. Alright. I'll see you next time. Bob is upset. Don't take it personal. He, he feels betrayed. We all did bad things. I think Bob started to believe that Raymond's not being a bad person. Bob learned a very harsh lesson in the end. <sighs> Maybe we really did need the Church of the One. <laughs> Don't say that. Ever.
So it was about 10 p.m. on Saturday the 5th, and as Connors and I were sitting in our car, talking about how we would meet our quota for the month, I heard the words. Suicide attempt at Marlborough Ave. All available officers, please respond. Crackle over the radio. They didn't give any details, but even the dispatcher seemed a bit shaken as he spoke. We were right down the road, so Connors responded to the call. So quick it was like a reflex, but after I saw the look in her eyes, I knew she immediately regretted it. And this was going to be a hard one for her. I heard her whisper, shit. And then, I asked if she was okay. She said, yeah. It's easier when you don't know them. Which I knew was her way of deflecting, but was also an excuse for responding to a call before she even thought about it. Anyway, I flipped on the sirens and sped off to the scene. And we were there in like five minutes. I threw the car in park and we took off on foot across the front lawn of the location. We drew our weapons. When we reached the door, it was slightly ajar already. That always gives me this gross feeling that something is really wrong. I swallowed the lump in my throat and called through the crack. Lakeview police open up. But I didn't hear a response. After waiting a few seconds too long, I decided it was better to shove the door open than to just stand there any longer. Even if it was against protocol. So I saddled up to the door and pushed it open with my shoulder. It opened up into a small mudroom. Another door on the other side. It was also slightly opened. The only thing I saw were some small shoes and like four pairs of women's sneakers. There were some coats hanging on a rack to my right and a small pink backpack on a hook. My heart immediately sank. Because that's the only indication I needed to know that somebody would be making a call to CPS later that night. Anyway. I held out my gun and started walking. Connors followed close behind. I pushed open the second door and shouted, Lakeview police, we're coming in. But this time, my announcement was met with high-pitched screams and sobs that sounded like they were coming from the second floor. So we glanced around the bottom level before Connors and I ran up the stairs towards the sound. Behind yet another door, we heard deafening screams. And not only that, but we could hear the sounds of a struggle and what sounded like bed springs. Connor's face was pale. She was clearly not okay, but her desire to do her job and protect whoever was in there overrode her past trauma. She kicked the door open and pointed her weapon at the offender and shouted, Lakeview Polite, but she stopped mid-sentence. And then from my point of view, her expression shifted completely. It wasn't until I entered myself that I saw what was happening. And what exactly was it that you saw? Uh, I'm not sure how to explain it. What were the basics? How many people did you see? All right, there were two people. Thankfully, they were fully clothed. One was on top of the other. She looked to be fairly normal, but the other woman... What 
What do you mean by normal? I just mean she didn't have the hair, the eyes, the claws that the other woman did. It looked like a Halloween costume, but man, but it just seemed too real. What other details do you remember about the scene? There was a shotgun on the floor. Small pool of blood across the pillow on the bed and a large splatter stain on the ceiling. There were posters of boys hung up on the walls. A flower-shaped shag carpet covering the floor and the sheets were all pink and decorated with princesses. The room looked like it belonged to a little girl, but there was no little girl to be found, just two women, one wrestling the other into submission on the bed. I see. What happened next? Well, Connor stopped short, but regained her composure pretty quickly. She stood at attention, her weapon trained on the woman wrestling that thing on the bed. The suspects didn't seem to see us there, though, which is probably a good thing, considering it took us a few seconds to even absorb what we were seeing. Assuming what I thought was a person in danger, hair and claws be damned, I holstered my weapon and lunged for the woman on top, tackled her to the floor. I didn't think it was possible, but she got louder and started hysterically crying and hyperventilating in my arms. This woman screamed, no, no, you have to hold her down. She attacked my little girl right into my ear. She was crying and she had blood all over her face. So I said, ma'am, I need you to calm down. We're here to help. Now we can get the situation under control if you just remain calm. But she wasn't having any of that. She flailed and scratched at me, screaming the whole time. And then I heard Connor shout, O'Keefe, look out. She was still standing by the door with her gun pointed at the thing. I put the woman in a hold with her hands behind her and my knee on her back, and I looked up to see this towering creature that in the best way I can describe looked half woman half monster but I don't know that just feels like a weird word to use what makes you think Mrs. Wakefield was a monster I mean she didn't look human her back was arched in this weird way and she was at least six foot tall it looked like her It looked like she was standing on her toes. Her skin split in different parts of her face, making what looked like a a snout jut out right above her mouth. I remember its exposed muscles and tendons snarling at me like an animal. She also had a gaping bullet wound that ripped out a chunk of her head. Just missed her left eye, which was clouded over and rolled back. It was so covered in blood and mangled, it just didn't look right. There was this long black hair growing out of random spots on her skin. Her nails were like claws. They nearly reached her knees. Her one good eye was twice the size of a human eye. It was a piss yellow color, the white just completely gone, and the pupil dilated the size of a dime. Otherwise, it wore this torn white crop top and jean shorts. Then, 
A half growl, half scream came out of the thing, and it slashed me across my face with its nails. I fell back and released the woman I was holding. As soon as she was free, she ran up to the thing and hugged its arms to its sides. I've noticed you're not consistently using female pronouns for Mrs. Wakefield. Is there a reason for that? Well, yeah, it's a fucking monster thing. What else am I going to call it? Her? There's no need to get upset, Mr. O'Keefe. I'm simply trying to understand the events of that night. Please continue. (sighs) All right, I'm sorry. I apologize. That was when Connor seemed to snap out of her daze and calmly said, Ma'am, back away and show me your hands. Well, her voice was calm, but that gun in her hand, it was shaking like a fucking leaf. I rose from my spot on the floor, drew my weapon, and aimed it at the thing. At Mrs. Wakefield. Connors and I stood beside each other, both guns pointed at the suspects. I have blood falling from my face, and we're in this kind of standoff between us and this couple. One of which is a fucking monster. I knew we were going to need more bodies to deal with this, so... That's when I called for backup and animal control, ignoring the look Connors gave me when I did. We were all quiet while we waited for other officers to respond. After a few seconds, I put out my hand and slowly holstered my weapon. The thing... Mrs. Wakefield, in this woman's arms, she looked pissed off but wasn't moving. I could tell she had a good grip on the thing. The the other woman buried her face into her. I guess, fur. It started to calm down. She was still crying, but just not as hard. So I said, ma'am, please tell us what happened. We're just here to help. I looked over at Connors, who still had her gun pointed at the suspects. Her face was glossed over, like she wasn't really all there. So I rested my hand on Connors' gun, and she snapped out of it, put it away started to blink back what looked like tears. You keep mentioning Officer Connors had some kind of trauma in her past. Was it hard for you to take that on as well as the case itself? Uh, I don't know. She had a fucked up childhood. She doesn't like to talk about it. When we were partners, she told me she's sensitive to rape and suicide cases, but we never went into any detail. I don't feel like it's my place to ask. I do think it's more difficult to deal with that on top of the case, though. Yeah. Especially since I was dealing with seeing an actual... uh, Mrs. Wakefield right in front of me. I see. Continue. As the tension rose, the woman holding back Mrs. Wakefield mumbled something into her arm. Connors asked her what she said before I could. This is my wife, the woman whispered. I did my best to hide the look on my face because, you know, I didn't want to come across as insensitive. Really, I was thinking, did you marry her before or after she became whatever this is? But those recent sensitivity trainings helped me to keep my face from doing what my brain was thinking. I didn't want to ask for clarification because once she uttered those words, she broke into more loud sobbing. Breaking the awkward silence that followed, the creature howled or something. It broke free of its, her, wife's arms and arched its back, 
doing that growl scream thing again, but this time it sounded pained. More hair grew from her arms. And her face had shifted to look more inhuman. I mean, you've watched werewolf movies before. You know what I'm talking about. So you think she was a werewolf? I mean, I don't know. What, what else am I supposed to call when I saw? We don't have a tent code for that. Ryan, I'm here to take down your account of the events that unfolded and help you come to terms with what happened. I'm not trying to judge you or make you feel foolish. All you have to do is tell me what you saw and explain your feelings about it. Alright, I'm sorry. It's only been a few days and I guess this has affected me more than I thought it would. It's like I can't think about anything else. I understand. Continue your story. Alright, okay. So, we're in the room and Mrs. Wakefield was in an incredible amount of pain and we could tell, so we called an ambulance. It looked like something under her skin was moving and ripping through it to make way for shapes that her body just couldn't account for. And then she started speaking in this gravelly voice, wet with gurgling blood like from the back of her throat, she says. Kill me, please. It sounded like she was clenching every muscle in her body, like she was in there, but she wasn't in control. I swear, I've never seen anything like this outside of The Exorcist. But the wife was holding on to her so tight. Her knuckles were white and her face turned red. She was really struggling to hold her in it. At one point, she gave me this look like she was sorry and scared at the same time. I didn't get why until she let go. She started crying again, but this time, like she had no more emotions left to give and was just crying because it was all she could do. As the beast fell to the floor, all traces of Mrs. Wakefield left its features and it fell onto all fours right in front of me. The bones in her legs snapped and cracked to accommodate the new posture and she let out another howl of pain. More hair sprouted from her skin, which was, at this point, barely visible. And her teeth grew into these sharp spikes, like too large for her mouth. She stood there before me, whimpering in pain and panting. Her eyes were wild, filled with tears. She looked like... She looked like at any moment she might bite me, or leap from my jugular or something. I was terrified. Thank God Connors had her wits about her because I was standing there completely frozen in fear and she noticed Mrs. Wakefield wasn't staring at me. She was staring directly behind me. Slowly, Connors tugged on my sleeve and pulled me to her side of the room, our backs now against the open doorway. So Mrs. Wakefield crept towards the sliding closet door like a, like a lion stalking its prey. Using hands that hadn't quite become Paul's, but they were kind of somewhere in between. So she slid the door to the side and revealed a small girl sitting with her knees pulled up to her chest. She couldn't have been older than five or six. 
her small frame sat crying and shivering in a set of pink unicorn pajamas stained with blood. She had long brown hair pulled up on a short, messy ponytail and a deep cut across her cheek. Matched mine. The wife was still sitting on the bed, slightly crying, attempting to speak up for her daughter, but nothing more than a whine came out. As soon as Connor saw that Mrs. Wakefield wasn't backing down, she bolted for the girl, but Mrs. Wakefield snapped at her. She backed up. I used those two seconds of distraction to step in, grab the girl, and dart through the door. But you never made it out. <sighs> no. That's, that's when I got bit. Right through my calf. Those teeth just tore into that muscle, and I still can't put any weight on it. What happened to Officer Connors? She grabbed the kid and ran outside. EMT and her backup had just arrived, so she was able to get into the ambulance right away. And Mrs. Wakefield's wife? <sighs> she didn't make it. After I grabbed the daughter and was bitten, Connors grabbed the kid and the wife jumped onto the back of Mrs. Wakefield. The two wrestled to the ground long enough for me to escape, but when I turned around, she'd been torn to pieces. It was a fucking massacre. EMTs and animal control ran up to the room, but the beast jumped through the window before anybody could catch her or attend to anyone's wounds. God, it was a fucking nightmare. That must have been a difficult day for you, Ryan. Yeah, it was. I've prescribed some sleeping pills for you until our next session. Those should help with any nightmares you might have. Do you remember how to find your way out? <sighs> yeah, I think I got it from here. You know, officer, that... Little girl means more to my people than you could ever comprehend. You had no business intruding like you did. What the fuck? Holy shit. After the Call, written by Augie Peterson, performed 
by David O'Steele as Ryan and Margaret Ashley as Dr. Ogden. The Samantha Winters episode was written by Brian Black and performed by Sarah Thomas as Samantha Winters, Graham Rowett as Bob, Alistair Mackey as Todd, Mark Whitten as Jake Stone, Allison Brandt as Jackie, David Cummings as Reverend Hicks, and Jason Wilson as the Warden. Musical compositions by J.M. Scherf. Artwork for the episode by Cassie Pertit. Additional artwork as well as social media and Patreon support by Brooks Bigley. Audio engineering and sound design was by me, Jason Wilson. Once again, we thank you ever so much for your time, and we thank you ever so much for your support. By listening to this episode, rating it, leaving reviews, you help us tremendously. We appreciate that. We also have a ton of social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a Patreon. Feel free to stop on by patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms and find one for you today. Once again, thanks ever so much for lending us your ear, and we look forward to bringing you more in the coming weeks. Till then, we will see you in two weeks.